How's it going, folks? How's it going? Good morning, good morning. I'm Brother Matthew, and welcome to Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And today we're going to continue on our study of the Gospel of John. As we've been working our way through it, we did uh, the first seven verses yesterday of John chapter 15, and we took a look at what it's talking about, about Jesus being the vine, we're the branches, and we took a look at verse 7 about the abiding in. Jesus talks about this through the first several verses about abiding. What does it mean to abide? What what is what is our abode? What does it mean? What does it stand for? What is the context of verses 1 to 6 in relation to the the Christian's life? Is there salvationary aspects or not in in relation to verses 1 to 6. So we discussed that yesterday. So today we're going to be picking up again, just a little off of verse 7 again, John chapter 15, verse 7. And we're going to take a look at another aspect here. The first the first bit we discussed was the abiding. Now, what does it mean to abide in Christ? What does it mean for his words to abide in us? So that was yesterday. Today we're going to look at the, at the second half of verse 7 and then move on down through the rest of the chapter, seeing how far we get if we have enough time. All right, so good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for joining in. Please grab your Bibles, grab your notepads and pens, grab your tea, grab your coffee, and yes, Wild Blue, I have my coffee today, so it's going to be a little easier today. Finally got my coffee. All right. So, uh, again, as we talk about that, this ministry is called Christian Coffee Time. Christian Coffee Time. And this is built off of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they steadfastly held in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Just the simplicity of gathering together, breaking bread, just in fellowship, talking about Christ, and just a sim- in simplicity, and just as it's meant to be. There's no formal tradition and protocols of that. Just come as you are, grab a tea, grab a coffee, come grab a chair, and let's talk about Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at the Word of God. And again, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights uh, regarding the context at hand, please, by all means, feel free to join in. We'd love to hear from you. If it's not related to the topic at hand, if you could just hold that to the end of the study or to another broadcast. Uh, Our Saturdays generally are our Q&A days. So that's for like random topics and that kind of stuff. So if you if you can't find a topic or time when to ask questions, you can always just pile them up for the Saturday. All right. Still getting used to my new glasses. A little strong for up close right now. Okay. Now, John chapter 15, verse 7. Now, this verse is misunderstood many, many different ways. The first part we looked at is the abiding. What does it mean to abide? See, a lot of people talk about abiding in Christ, abiding in him, loving Jesus, loving God, loving the faith, all this stuff. But they miss the next part about, and his words abide in us. You can abide in Christ and his word not abide in you. You can love Jesus all all you can and still not love his word. 
that's a, a lot of people are like, especially the modern liberal personal interpretation Christians, where they monkey with the word of God and cherry pick scripture. And they just kind of pick and choose what they like and ignore what they don't like. And they kind of fashion and create a God of their own imagination and feelings. The social justice warrior Jesus. But that's not what the Bible talks about. It's all the word of God. If you love me, you'll love my words, Jesus talks about. If ye abide in me and my words, that's plural, that's all of them, not just the ones you like, and my words, again, who is Jesus according to the word of God? He's the Lord God Almighty manifest in the flesh. And my words abide in you. So just as you abide in Christ, so should his words abide in you. If you really love Jesus, you'll do what he says. If you really love Jesus, you'll keep all his word. If you really love Jesus, you'll study and devote yourself to the word of God and memorization of scripture and going and telling others the good news of Jesus Christ. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you. Now, why should we do that? Why do we abide in Jesus? I'm asking that question. Why should we abide in Jesus? Because we have to? Because that's what Christians do. Because we're supposed to. Because it's mandatory. Because it's law. Because I can't be saved if I don't. Because so there's many different reasons and excuses people could give for this. But why do we abide in it? Why should we? Well, if we keep reading, go up to verse 7 and read through the whole chapter and then continue reading, you'll see heart attitude. There we go. Christopher Wobloo, exactly. Because we want to, not have to, want to. There's a difference of heart attitude there. Because of love, as Wobloo says. That's right. Because you love him, you want to abide in him. Because you love him, you want to walk with him, you want to be with him, you want to hear him, you want to study all things about him. That's why. So when you see the want to because you love him, now look at it in that reflection. That completely changes the way you look at Jesus. It's so different than all the other gods of the other religions, all the other works-based systems of salvation. Look at Roman Catholicism, a cult about righteous works to earn to gain, where they serve out of religious servitude. The same as Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam and Sikhism and all the others. They have to, because if they don't, they won't get to their heaven. They have to. They have to do all these things. Every single other belief system of the entire world has no grace. No salvation by grace. It's all by mandatory law-keeping, works to, works to earn to gain, works to maintain to keep, works to self-atone. There's no grace in any single other belief system. They're void of grace. Ours is the only belief system in the entire world that's all by grace the unmerited favor of god that i didn't merit it i didn't earn it it's not a reward i don't deserve it but he gave it to me anyways because he so loved me 
has nothing to do with me whatsoever. Now, this is also reflected upon our walk with Christ. That it, there's no maintaining to keep. It's not about me. It's not about me and my walk. I'm an absolute hopeless, helpless mess. <laughs> I can't do anything right. I can't do anything right. I'm always messing up. I'm always slipping up. I'm always slipping and falling and smacking my head in the mud. Uh, always making mistakes. But it's not about me. That's where the Lord talks about in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. Talks about the Holy Spirit, which is the comforter. He will teach us all things. He will instruct us in all things. He will give us the words with which to say. He will teach us how to pray. He will do everything. He'll give us all that we need in the moment. It's not even my strength. He is my strength. It's not my armor. It's all his armor. It's not my words. It's his words. It's not my thoughts. It's his thoughts. It's all about him. It's all about him living through us. I just try my best to get out of the way. I learn to die to self, to remove my hands from more and more and more and more things so that he would do all of these things and not me. It's not about me. And I try I try my hardest to try to remember to bring him into everything that I do and say and think, even the most minuscule things. That's abiding in him. That's his word abiding in you. The word of God being brought into every single aspect of our lives. Now, Here's the crux of the matter. In John 15, 7, if personal chosen choice, you can choose not to. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, it shall be done unto you. And that's where a lot, a lot of people really go off the deep end and really lose their minds on that one. Because they think just as, as long as you just love Jesus, you can get whatever you want. God, I want a Dodge Viper, and I want a million dollars in my bank account. Uh, no, because you ask amiss, heaping upon your lust. That's not what that's talking about. This is not talking about like Kenneth Copeland and, and Creflo Dollar and all these others about the prosperity gospel heresy nonsense. Jesus didn't die on the cross so you could get a new Mercedes. It's not about money. The Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. They say Jesus had so much money, he had to have someone else carry the money bag for him. Those kinds of people need to actually go and repent and believe the gospel and actually read the Bible for real for once. Now, it's not about earthly possessions and wealth and all of that. What are you asking for? Because we do not yet, yet know how to pray for as we ought. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Right, take your Bibles. Go to Romans chapter 8. And this is where Kenneth Copeland's head will explode. If you ever actually read this. Okay, Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities... For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. We, didn't, we don't even know how to pray for correctly. 
We do not yet know how to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit, capital S, it's the Holy Spirit itself, maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the Spirit of God within us gives us the words with which to pray according to the will of God. Well, how can I know what the will of God is? Well, you don't. But the Spirit of God in us does and therefore tells us what to pray for. Will the Holy Spirit tell you to pray for a Dodge Viper Corvette Lamborghini or whatever in a billion dollar bank account with jet liners and silk uh, silk suits and gold embroidered name tags and giant marble pillared mansions? And No, that's, that's stupid. The Spirit of God will, will teach you and tell you how to pray according to the will of God. Well, what is the will of God? How can we know the will of God? Let's go back to John chapter 6. Gospel of John, chapter 6. All right. So there's two passages here in John, chapter 6, of a couple verses here we'd like to read. John, chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. Then said they unto him, What shall we do? This is John 6, 28 and 29. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? How can we know how to work the works of God? Jesus answered, verse 29, and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Okay, so how can you work the works of God? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go over to verses 39 and 40. <clears throat> Same chapter, John 6, 39 and 40. And this is is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. What is the will of the Father? That you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can it really be that simple? Well, <clears throat> if you remember, go back to John chapter 4. Where Jesus is talking with the Samaritan woman at the well. <clears throat> John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water. Now we talked about that before, but this is a allegorical explanation about believing on him, where his spirit then indwells you. Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. What is this well within us that springs up? What is the well within us that springs up? the Spirit of God, that then speaks through us, teaches through us, works through us, guides us in all things, teaches us how to pray, causes us to remember all the things that Christ has said, is our teacher and instructor, our convictor, our guide, our guard. <clears throat> so, go back to John chapter 15, verse 7. If ye abide in me, 
So the first aspect here of John 15, 7 is first making sure you are abiding in him biblically, according to the scriptures, in the believe, uh, believing faith unto salvation. If ye abide in me. <clears throat> so the first aspect of abiding in him is believing on him, according to the scriptures, to be saved. And then after believing on him in love, wanting to follow him like the disciples did and my words abide in you that's now following him according to the scriptures and when you do this when you're born again saved the holy spirit of god is able to speak to you is able to teach you pro uh, properly according to the scriptures which you are studying and therefore because of your sensitivity to the obedience of the holy spirit of god you will know what to pray for as he ought because the spirit of God will be able to speak to you and you won't be hindering him. You won't be getting in the way. You won't be trying to uh, imply your own ideas and feelings upon the spirit of God. And it shall be done unto you. Your prayers will be answered because those who honor me, I will honor and your prayers are honorable unto God. <clears throat> Excuse me. So John chapter 15, verse 8. Now, when we are abiding in him and his word is abiding in us, verse 8, herein is my father glorified. Our abiding in the Lord and abiding in his word glorifies God. You want to know how to glorify God? Abide in Christ and his words abide in you. It's that simple. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. And this abiding is fruit. This is fruit of the Spirit. This is fruit of conviction. This is fruit of love. Anyone can say they love Jesus. But what is the justifier of the actions? Faith that works is dead. Hereby works justify prove back up validate that what you're saying is true what is the validation what is the validation that you truly love jesus you're keeping his words you're defending his words you're studying his words you're memorizing his words you're obeying his words that you bear much fruit much as much as you possibly can that you bear much fruit so shall ye be my disciples okay we got something different here here's a question for you is it possible is it possible to that you could be a Christian a true born-again Christian and not be a disciple is it possible that you could be a born-again Christian and not a disciple? What's the difference? Someone tell me the difference. What is the difference between being a born-again Christian and being a disciple? How is it possible that, that could happen?
because a lot of the modern liberal personal interpretation Christians don't understand this difference. They don't know how to show the difference, how to be able to explain the difference. They think as long as you're born again saved, you are a disciple. No, no, you're not. A born again Christian is just someone who's born again saved. Paris Vaughn says there is a plant that looks like grapes, but the fruit is poisonous. Only the true grapes on the branches grafted onto the true vine bear fruit that nourishes. Amen. That's right. Dana says, disciple has chosen to live solely for the service of the Lord, to deny any worldly service, to go from milk to solid food. That's right. A born-again Christian is just someone who's born-again saved. You're saved. Your sins are forgiven. You're indwelt by the Spirit of God. A disciple is now one who picks up the cross and follows him in all things, who goes and tells others and witnesses and serves the Lord in prayer and fasting and devotion and love. One who now works for the Lord, works to the Lord, honors the Lord in all things. One who bears fruit. Now, the modern liberal personal interpretation Christian will fly off the handle on that say no you, all you need is love just love 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 you love the world you love the people you love them at christ love them just love one another just love it's all about love um i'm sorry but jesus isn't a hippie but let's take a look here here and is my father glorified that you bear much fruit so shall ye be my disciples okay how can we bear much fruit love is one of the fruits that's one of the fruits but to just love and know sound doctrine is pointless love that's gutless graceless godless love if you're not telling people about the gospel of jesus christ if you are not witnessing if you are not showing them if you're not helping them to see the difference between the, uh, the difference between the holy and the profane, showing them the difference between righteousness and sin, if you're not leading people to salvation, you got a problem. Let's take a look here. Verse 9, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Continue ye in my love. Okay, how did Jesus show his love to the world? By teaching them the difference between righteousness and sin. He would sit down with the sinners and instruct them in righteousness and show them how they're sinners and they need to be saved. He debated against and condemned the sin of the uh, of the Sanhedrin, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of them. He, he flipping the tables and, and look at what Jesus did. Look how he showed the love of the Father. The love of the Father is love of justice love of righteousness and hate of iniquity if ye keep my commandments ye shall abide in my love so it's not just generic love generic hippie love everyone grab hands and, and start rocking back and forth singing uh, sing, singing hippie songs if you keep my commandments okay my commandments what are the commandments of jesus who's jesus The whole word of God. The whole word of God. 
what it says about all things, what it says about sin, what it says about righteousness, what it says about abomination, what it says about salvation, what it says about repentance, what it says about what, what you should not do and what you should do. If you're not abiding in the word of God in its fullness, you don't love God. You cannot say you love God. You cannot say you love Jesus and not love all the word of God. It's that simple. So many people get all up in arms about that. This gets so upset when you say that, but it's true. Whether you like it or not, if ye keep my commandments. Now, a lot of the modern liberal mixed up uh, Christians they think that when Jesus says my commandments, that that then invalidates the commandments of the Old Testament. Um, no. Um, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? We'll go back to John chapter 8. What did he call himself five times in John chapter 8? What did he call himself? The I am. What, what name did God call himself under the burning bush to, uh, to Moses? The I am. Jesus is God, almighty, manifested in the flesh, the same God who wrote the Old Testament. Now, those commandments that have been changed were specifically changed by Christ. He, he actually changed that. We see in Matthew chapter uh, 5, 6, and 7. Where Jesus, you read the Sermon on the Mount, where, where the author of the book has the authority to change the context, to change the content. So you see Jesus actually redefining the law in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Only God can do that. Only God has authority to do that. So, for example, we don't go around stoning people. Jesus says, you heard of old time and said this, but now I say unto you. We see a difference of dispensation, a change. Certain things are changed. We see in the Old Testament, you can't eat pork, can't eat shellfish. And then we see it, it seemed good unto us and to the Holy Ghost to put no more greater burden upon you than those necessary things. And they changed the dietary law commandments. They changed many of the different commandments by God, changing them, giving authority to change them, clarifying what ones have been changed. So how to know what commandments are then applicable i guess you're gonna have to read it i guess you're gonna have to study the word of god so we see some crazy heretics like stephen furtick and bill johnson saying that you that uh, we we don't have to keep the ten commandments because that's old testament um okay so you're you're saying it's okay to lie it's okay to steal it's okay to murder it's okay to have graven images it's okay to take the name of your of the, the lord your god in vain it's it's okay to covet it's okay to no see these kinds of people don't know what they're talking about they need to actually go and read the thing and actually figure out what's going on if you keep my commandments now the reason we then are, would be keeping the commandments of God. It's not because we have to. And all the lawkeeper Judaizers heads explode. It's not because we have to. It's because we want to. Why does the child do what they're told when the parent tells them? Because they love their parent. They respect their parents. 
They love and respect their parents and they do so because they want to, because they love them. The reason we follow the Lord and do what he says is because we love him. You have choice. You can choose not to, but then ask the question, why would you not want to? Why would you not want to keep the commandments of Christ? Why would you not want to keep the word of God in all aspects? <clears throat> if you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Seeking to be perfect as he is perfect, to be ye holy as I am holy, as the Lord says. Well, we can't be absolutely perfect. We can't be sinless. We can't be purely, perfectly holy in all things. But we should strive to try to want to be in all things. That, that we have choice every time that, that an option and a choice is presented to you. You have a split second, one second, sometimes two second moment of reactionary response where you choose your reaction to the thing. And in that moment, you can choose how to react, how to ignore, how to cast away, how to look away, how to say something or not say something. You can choose. We, we, we aren't just reactionary animals or robots dancing to our own DNA. Is We have choice in all things and we should choose the right. We should choose the good. But you choose the Lord to abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So. Hebrews 1 9. Thou hast loved righteousness. And hated iniquity. And the Lord, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. The oil of gladness, the joy of the Lord. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. He strengthens us with the joy of gladness, of obedience and love of the Lord. These things have I spoken unto you that, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Full of joy. Not just a little bit. Full of joy in all things. The fullness of joy is absence of doubt, worry, and depression. Stress and anxiety and all the rest of it. Because, you know... The Lord has an answer for everything. The Lord will provide as you need. The Lord is our guide. He's our strength. He's our help. He'll hear our prayers. And our Lord is with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He'll never cast us away. He'll never deny us. He always hears us. And that's why I love him. And that's why I want to follow him. That's why I abide in him. That your joy might be full. This is my commandment. That ye love one another as I have loved you. And the modern liberal personal interpretation Christian, what they do is they take their Bible. They take a, a blackout marker and they scribble out the entire Bible. And they only circle, love one another as I have loved you. And they ignore all the rest of it. Just as long as you just love and that's all you need. Just love everything and love everyone. And the, the, the world will want to be like you because of your love. When has that ever happened? 
Never. In fact, the world will just see that you are so apathetic. You are, you are so dismissive. You, you are so not a threat to sin that they're just going to go and do whatever they want because they know you're not going to get in the way. They'll walk all over you and they'll ignore you. They see there's no seriousness in you. There's no condemnation. There's no need for repentance. There's, there's no judgment. There's no need to have to believe in Jesus. Why would, a, why would someone want to believe in the Lord if there's no real reason or point? Well, if you believe in Jesus, everything will be perfect. No, well, you'll have everlasting life, but things will get worse. <laughs> the, the world will hate you because of Christ. Why? Because now they see Christ through you and they'll hate you because of Christ, because Christ condemns sin. It's all about sin. It's all about sin. You want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation from your sins, not so that you can have a perfect life. It doesn't become a bed of roses. That's a really stupid phrase, really, when you think about it. Don't roses have thorns? Who would want to lay in a bed of roses? All right, I guess, the, I guess life is like a bed of roses then. It might look nice at some point, but it'll shred you up with all the thorns. This is my commandment that ye love one another. You love one another and, and judge not. But that's not what the Lord said. The judge not, he means is in judge not hypocritically. Read the rest of the context. Judge not hypocritically. And you pair into it the other uh, parable about the moat and the beam, about hypocrisy. Don't judge hypocritically. If you're going to judge, expect to be judged in return. That's what he's talking about there. Love one another as I've loved you. How did Jesus love you? He convicted you of your sin, showed you your need of a savior, showed you the cross, showed you the condemnation of hell, and showed that you need to be born again. And so you repented of your sins and believed on the Lord. That's how the Lord loved you. Showed you your need of a savior. Love one another as I've loved you. Bring all people to Christ for the fulfillment of the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, you've often heard me quote that verse whenever I quote John 3.16. For God so loved the world the so love of god for god so loved the world it doesn't say god loved the world it says god so loved that's the self-sacrificing love acts chapter 20 verse 28 acts chapter 20 verse 28 god purchased the church with his own blood Greater love hath no man than this, and a man laid down his life for his friends. And because God so loved us, he made a way so that he would come down, give himself for the church. Give himself as the atonement for all the world. First John 2, 2. And he is the atonement for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Greater love. And we should reflect this love upon one another and the world. That love. Of giving one's self in fullness in all things. And look at verse 14. 
Are you a true friend of Jesus Christ? Are you a true friend of Jesus Christ? If you're truly a friend of Jesus Christ, look what Jesus says. Jesus says, ye are my friends. If, there's that word again, if. If denotes personal choice. You can choose not to. If ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Well, God told me I could. I was talking to my wife yesterday. Uh, she's a graphics designer, a computer wizard. And uh, but an idea that I've had for quite a while. And I've been working on this idea. And I asked her yesterday if at some time, it, if she liked it, she could design up for me. Heretic bingo. Heretic bingo is you have all the, the checkerboard pattern and you have all the spaces. And in, in each space is a typical cliche heretical catchphrase. God told me I could judge not just love. Uh, I I dreamt it. I'm a prophet. Now, all these other catchphrases you always hear them say, and so they're going to uh, work on designing up a heretic bingo. Because you see in verse fourteen, ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command. Well, God told me I could. Really. Um, second opinions chapter three doesn't exist. Where's, where's it found in the Bible where God justifies and validates what you said that God told you? If, if uh, you heard a voice or you had a dream, had a vision, had an experience, had an epiphany or whatever you want to call it. And it contradicts the word of God, even remotely. Well, it wasn't God that told you. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Well, how can I know what Christ commands of us? Maybe read the thing. How many Bibles do you have? How much of the Bible do you know? Well, are you saying that God doesn't talk to us anymore? No, God does talk to us, but he's not going to talk to you contradicting his word. And God's not going to teach us some new teaching, new revelation, new words of knowledge. He's not going to give us new teachings. Anything that he's going to say is going to be reflected by the word of God, for the word of God, through the word of God, so that you would learn the word of God. If it contradicts the word of God, it's not of God. If it adds to, subtracts from, omits and changes and twists and, and monkeys of scripture, it's not of God. Because even the devils quote scripture. Even the devils quote scripture and they know how to quote it out of context. They know how to try to make you see, think, feel, believe something that's contradictory, contradictory to the word of God. So how can you test the spirits to see if they're of God? You got to know scripture. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Can you be a born again Christian and not be a friend of Jesus? There's a thought. 
Can you be a born-again Christian and not be a friend of Jesus? Yeah. Because walking in commandments is not salvationary, but it's something you should want to do. And it makes me raise an eyebrow and wonder why you wouldn't want to if you're not. But to be born again, you believe on the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace through faith, through belief alone, and you're born again saved for salvation from your sin. You're saved by grace through faith, by belief alone, through Christ alone. But then after that, if you're not wanting to abide in the word of God, that's where the word of God talks about some people will make it by the skin of their teeth. That's a scary thought. That's a scary thought. That's where you walk through the gates of heaven and God raises an eyebrow and says, oh, good, you made it. Just think about that. How you could be born again, saved, and not be a friend of Jesus. You just squeaked through. You just made it by the skin of your teeth. That's that's scary. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. The disciple is the friend of Jesus. Many people believed on Jesus but didn't walk with him. Many of the Pharisees also believed on him, but secretly for fear of the Jews. There are many, 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 many people who believe on the Lord and are born again saved, but don't walk with him. So think about this. Think about this. To walk with him, to abide in him, to be a friend of him. To be a disciple of him is to abide in his words. You can believe in him and not abide in his words. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Verse 15, henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. We are called friends of God. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. We are, we are without excuse. There is literally no reason why you can't abide in the Word of God. There is no excuse you could possibly make to justify and validate and excuse to not abide in the Word of God. There's nothing you could possibly say. There's not one single scenario you could possibly make up that could validate or justify not keeping the word of God. In fact, a good old friend of ours, he passed away a little while ago. He was a great preacher. He had a great saying. He says, you know, people don't do things. Because they just don't want to. There's no such thing as an excuse. People don't do things because they just don't want to. There's no such thing as an excuse. I, I've also heard an excuse is just the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. The skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. There's nothing that we could possibly say 
or make up that could excuse ourselves from keeping the word of God. We've been given all the word. We've been shown all the things. We've been given all the doctrine that's required. We, he's taught us all the theology that we need. He's given us everything. A book that's from his mouth, a book that is infinite like he is because there's infinite wisdom and knowledge. You cannot exhaust this thing. You can't even get close to exhausting this thing. And it has a, and it, it has a teaching. It has a doctrine. It has a, a help. It ha has justification and wisdom and knowledge for absolutely every single thing you could possibly think of. There's no excuse to not keeping the word of God. Keeping it makes you a friend of God. Because you're finally listening to him. You're finally letting him talk to you. You're finally talking to him. But I've called you friends. Verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you. That you should go and bring forth fruit. We are called of God now. Chosen and ordained and called of God to serve the Lord. That when you get born again saved, you are elected to do the good works of Christ. Ordained to do, called to do, chosen to do the good works of Christ. Why aren't we? Why would we not? Why would we not want to? And ordain you that you should go and bring forth fruit. That this is the will of God. This is the calling of God. This is the purpose of why we are here. We aren't just here to, ju to just enjoy life while we have our golden ticket for after we die. In this life, we are called to serve the Lord to bring as many people with us. To go and and work in the fields and bringing in the harvest, bringing in the souls to Christ. They're meant to serve the Lord, worship the Lord, devote ourselves unto the Lord. Yes, we can enjoy life over in this, but that should not be our first primary focus. It's not about money and wealth and power and fame and, and all and prosperity and all of that. It's about Jesus Christ, but it's about salvation from sin. When the time comes and the great judgment is over, where hell is brought up and they are judged out of the books and those whose names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life were then cast in the lake of fire and death and hell, the devil and all of his angels are cast in the lake of fire and that's all done. The world is destroyed by fire. And the judgment is over. The door slams to the lake of fire. It's all done. And the saints are left standing there. And the Lord turns to us. And then we see we see the great examination where we come before the Lord. And he says, and he examines how we served him. We won't be judged for sin. We'll be judged, we'll judged rather for how did we care for the things of God in this life. And the Lord turns to you and says, how did you make use of the gifts that I gave you? What did you do for the kingdom? I gave you this gift, this gift, this gift, this gift. How did you make use of it? What did you do for me? Well, I went to church on Sunday and, and when, when, when I had an opportunity, I tried to make it out to prayer meeting. I handed out a gospel tract once and I, I tried to witness to one of my friends once. 
Uh, and then the rest of the rest of the time, I just tried to love everybody. I just tried to love everybody. I wonder how many times God's going to hear something like that. The gifts that God gave us are not to be squandered. They're meant to be taken advantage of and used to the fullest, fullest degree possible. Witnessing and teaching and instructing and preaching and evangelizing and, and showing Christ in all things possible. Always being unashamed, unafraid, speaking up, rocking the boat, triggering the sinner. They trigger God every day with their blasphemies and abominations. About time they get triggered. That we need we need to go and trigger sin by the righteousness of Christ, showing them as Christ would show them in love and honor and humility. Yes, and meekness, instructing those, but still not being afraid to speak up. What are you going to tell the Lord when you finally stand before Him? Henceforth, I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I call you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Just like, well, I don't know what to say. Good. That means you're not going to get in the way. Because the Lord says, I will give you the words with which to say. Open the mouth wide. I will fill it. I will teach you how to pray. I will cause you to be in remembrance of everything. I will teach you all things. I will be with you always. I will give you my strength. I will guide your feet. I will guide your hands. I will guide your words. What excuse do we have? If we literally don't have to worry about a thing, it's like having the cheat codes to life. It's like having the cheat codes to life. We don't ever have to worry about a thing. Well, I don't know what to say. Good. That means you won't get in the way. That means now the Lord can now tell you what to say without you hindering them. We have the full word of God. We have the entire manual. We have every single thing possible, necessary for this life. And people say, well, I don't know what to do. Really? You have the answer book right in front of you. And you're sitting there whining and complaining about not knowing what to do. Well, you have the whole answer book to life. The book of cheat codes of life right in front of you. You don't have to worry about a thing. Called friends of God, provided by God, helped of God, strengthened by God, protected by God, taught by God, given all the words that you'd ever need, teaches you even how to pray, and calls you a priest at a living temple of the living God and dwelt by the spirit of the living God, Jesus Christ, standing by your side, held in the hand of the Father, surrounded by a mountain of angels. What excuse do you have? What excuse? What possible excuse could you make? What could you possibly say? Looking in the face of God, what could you possibly say to him that could get, that could justify you're not serving him, not reading the Bible, not walking in him, not abiding in his word? If heaven has crickets, there's going to be a lot of just cricket sounds. Because people won't know what to say. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. If you are ordained of God. Now, okay. Let's talk about ordination. I have no ordination. I don't need it. 
ordination is irrelevant, unnecessary. Irrelevant and unnecessary. You don't need degrees. You don't need diplomas. You don't need fancy titles or any of this kind of thing. All you need to know is what is the th what does this thing say? What does this say? Just read it, quote it. That simple. Read it, quote it. That simple. Just what does it say? Ye are my friends. I teach you all things. Just go and say what I have said. We're just repeaters. Repeaters of what Christ has already said. And you just keep repeating it over and over and over and over again. Same message. It's really simple. What does the Bible say about it? Someone says, oh, what do you think about this? Well, the Bible says, well, I, I want to know what you think. Well, what I think is the Bible says this. Our knee jerk reaction is scripture says the Bible says the word of God says the holy word of God says this. Thus saith the Lord. That's all it's that simple. He's ordained us all men and women ordained of God to be witnesses of God in all things everywhere. Yes, women are called too. Ordained too, to be witnesses, to be evangelists. There are some crazy people out there say that women aren't allowed to evangelize. That's hogwash. That, that is absolute nonsense. The only thing scripture forbids is women being pastors and deacons. That's it. To be leaders of a local church assembly. That's it. Women can be evangelists, missionaries. They can go out and proclaim the word of God in the street and, and Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, anywhere. They can do anything. They just can't be pastors or deacons. That's all. Those two things. They can do all the rest. So stop, stop hindering women from being witnesses of God. Ordained of God, called of God, appointed by God to go and be a witness of God. In all things, everywhere that you do. To go and bring forth fruit. So we can manifest fruit and to go and bring fruit. How can we go and bring fruit? What is bringing fruit? That's bringing people to the Lord. Inviting them to church. And then bringing them to Christ. Bringing them to the knowledge of the word of God. Bringing fruit to them. Bringing fruit to them. Verse 17. Oh, we didn't really finish it. It's verse 16. And you should bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. What does that mean? That your fruit should remain. Well, some people can get all fired up. You know, when you go to these conferences or these special meetings and the special revival services and you can get all convicted and all fired up and they, that you raise your hand, that you, you want to go and serve the Lord and you get all fired up and want to go serve the Lord. And the following week, it kind of wanes away, wanes off and it starts to die out and you just go back to the same old status quo. Don't let that happen. Keep the fire. Keep that fervency. Keep, maintain to keep that zealousness. The only thing we maintain to keep is our fervency of devotion and, and desire of service of God. Re let your fruit remain. You're called of God, ordained of God, taught of God, instructed by God. Go! Go! The soldier on the battlefield, halfway through the battle, like, eh, I'm tired of this. I'm going to go home. 
A lot of Christians are like that. Imagine if, if the soldiers of World War II were like that. Halfway through the battle, oh, this is difficult. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm sore. And I'm homesick. I just want, I'm done. They start on the rifle and just go home. What would happen if the soldiers of World War II did that? Well, I'm pretty sure things would have turned out rather differently. But a lot of Christians are like that. Halfway through the battle of this life, they give up. They get all apathetic. They're like Demas. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. They find it's easier to just stop fighting. It's easier to just stop resisting. It's easier to just, you know, just loosen up a bit. You don't have to be so strict. You don't have to be like this. You don't have to hold yourself so close to the Lord. You can, you know, it's all by grace anyways. And you know, it's our liberty in Christ. And judge not. And just love. Just as long as you just love one another. And that's that's enough. They stop fighting. But the Lord says, if you love me, you'll keep all my commandments and that your fruit should remain. Should never change. As fervent and zealous and fired up as you were in the day you got born again, saved, is how you should remain through the rest of your Christian life. Well, how can I do that? Well, have you heard of something called prayer and fasting? Have you heard of something called Bible studies? Have you heard of something called revival services, revival messages, revival prayers? Have you heard of something called dying to self? Have you heard of something called resisting the devil? Have you heard of something called praising Christ in everything that you do? Rejoice always. You know, if we were to eat and drink as often as you read your Bible and prayed, how healthy and strong would you be? You're to eat and drink. You only ate and drank as much as you read your Bible and prayed. How healthy and strong would you be? I think a lot of Christians, that their spirits look a lot like concentration camp survivors. Well, the flesh is gorging on all the worldly entertainments and pleasures and food and personal lusts and desires and wants and likes and dislikes, all these things. But the spirit is starving to death. The spirit looks like a concentration camp survivor. Just a skeleton with skin, just thrown crumbs every now and then. It only gets to eat maybe once a week on Sundays, and maybe, if lucky, a morsel in, a, in an odd morning here and there. We should flip the tables on that. Submit the flesh with the affections and lust thereof. Walk in the spirit so you don't fulfill the affections of, of the flesh, the lust of the flesh. Ordained of God... To serve the Lord in all things of the Lord as, as much as possible. Yes, we're all different. We all have a different calling. Not everybody is an evangelist. Not everybody is a preacher. Not everybody is a missionary. But everybody, everybody, every man, woman, and child who believes on the Lord God Jesus Christ according to Scripture is called of God to to 
walk with God, walk in the Lord in all things, to fellowship with the Lord in all things, and to always be a witness of the Lord in all things. You should at least be able to tell people how to be born again, saved according to Scripture. At least, at least be able to witness to people and show them how to be born again, saved. If you don't know how, that's where you need to start. Some people say, well, I've been saved for this long. It's not about how long you've been on the road. It's about how far you've traveled. You can own a car and have that car on the road running and idling and not go anywhere, not gain any distance, not learn anything. You can own a car all your life and never learn how to drive it. It doesn't matter how many cars you own. It's about how well you know how to drive. How well do you know how to drive this life? These things I command you. These things I command you. And that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. Now is the Lord going to bless, honor, provide, and protect the life of a saint who is not a friend of God. Yes, Christians cannot be friends of God. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I say, the Lord says. You're my friends if you do whatsoever I say, Jesus says. Henceforth ye shall be my disciples if you keep my commandments, Jesus says. Is it possible you could be a Christian, not a disciple? Be a Christian, not a friend of God. Is the Lord going to honor, respect, provide, and help and bless a Christian who's not a friend of God? One who refuses to walk with him, refuses to study, refuses to read, refuses to pray, and just keeps giving themselves over and over and over and over and over to the flesh and the world. Is the Lord going to bless that? Is he going to honor that? Is he going to help that? Is he going to provide for that? No. And so many Christians wonder why God won't answer their prayers. And so many Christians wonder why that, that the churches are struggling so much. <clears throat> and so many people are wondering why so many Christians are giving up and walking away. Why the great falling away takes place. It's because Christians are falling away. From this rather they say that they look at dreams and visions and experiences and feelings and sensations and all and all the the twinkling lights and tinsel all the tapestry of the faith but they won't even crack open the book all they do is just look at judge not and love one another and that's that's all our calling I'm sorry God's not a hippie these things I command you that you love one another as I have loved you, Jesus says. Again, how, how did Jesus love you? He loved you enough to tell you you're a sinner. He loved you enough to warn you of hell. He loved you enough to bring you to the bloody cross. He loved you enough to bring you to the, to, to the tomb and to the resurrection morning. He loved you enough to show that you're a wretched sinner in need of a Savior. And you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so you can be saved. Or else, if you don't, you'll die in your sins. He loved you enough to warn you. He loved you enough to judge you. He loved you enough to, to condemn you in your sins so you could see your need to repent and believe on the Lord. Except you repent, you shall likewise perish. 
Repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Enough with this limp-wristed hippie Jesus gospel. We need to come back to the gospel as, as Jesus taught it. The gospel according to Jesus. The gospel according to the apostles. The gospel according to the prophets. All have sinned. All are fallen away. All have become corrupted. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Repent. Make the crooked way straight. Believe upon the Lord so that you can be saved. To love one another in the love of Christ, in the fullness of Christ, in the fullness of the word of God. This is what scripture says. This is what scripture says. But what is the devil going to do? Well, the devil knows how to quote scripture. The devil knows how to cherry pick the Bible. Satan quoted Psalm 91 to try to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. And if Satan can deceive a third of the angels, what makes you think he can't deceive you? Or me or anyone. If I don't if I don't know scripture, how can I know how to how to tell what is of God and what is not? How will I know what is righteousness and what is unrighteousness? Well, am I just left to my opinions? Well, the Bible says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. It's not open to personal interpretation. You hear some crazy people say, well, I have my interpretation. You have your interpretation. You know, to me, that's like fingernails on a chalkboard. I can't stand that. Well, just, just love one another. Just love. Judge not. Judge not. Don't you? Don't be a Pharisee. Just love one another. I have my interpretation. You have your interpretation. That's fingernails on a chalkboard. Obviously, obviously, that individual needs to actually go and read the Bible for once. They're looking to experiences and opinions and feelings. I'm sorry, but Facts don't care about your feelings and the facts of the word of God say this. And if you contradict that, you obviously don't love God. How could you say that? That's not pharisaical. Well, you obviously don't. How can you say you love God and not love all of his word? If your God is not the God of the whole Bible, your God is a devil and not God. And I won't apologize for that. If your God is not the God of the whole Bible, your God is a devil and not God. If your God does not judge sin, your God is a devil and not God. If your God is all love, no justice, your God is a devil and not God. If your Jesus isn't God manifest in the flesh, your Jesus is a false Jesus. You're going to hell. The whole Bible and nothing less than the whole Bible makes up the whole Christian. A whole disciple is one who keeps all the word of God, loves all the word of God, studies all the word of God, uses all the word of God, rightly divides all the word of God and only the word of God. Not, not councils and catechisms and creeds and commentaries and other people's feelings and opinions and dreams and visions. It's not about any of that. Scripture and scripture alone makes up the whole Christian. There's no room for anything else. There's no need for anything else. Even if you had a vision or a dream, it's unnecessary. Because the word of God supersedes. The word of God is more important. God says, my word is above my very name. Think about that just for one moment. Stick that in your theological pipe and smoke it for a minute. Think about that. God says, my word is is above 
my very name. Consider the connotation of that. So therefore then, to question the veracity of the word of God, you then would have to question the veracity of the names of God. Because my word is above my name. So, refusal to keep the word of God is doing an injustice to the names of God. Because the names of God are written in the word of God. And it's the word of God that tells us about the power of the names of God. Think about this. Verse 17. These things I command you. What about the commandments of God? We go back to Exodus chapter 20, and we see the list of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. The commandments of God. And we, we, we tout the commandments as so high and powerful and important and necessary and, and, and serious. But then it's, it's weird because then we turn around and... We invalidate all the rest of the word of God. We think it's only the Ten Commandments. You do realize there's a lot more than just the Ten Commandments, right? There's a lot more. These things I command you. These things that he's saying. We've been reading through the Gospels. These things. All of these things. I command you. What things? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. God spoke it. God gave it that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the scriptures came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they are moved by the Holy Ghost. All of it. All of it. Why do we cherry pick it? Why do we only choose to obey parts of it? These things I command you, that you love one another. It's a commandment of God. Now, now let's just look at this just for a moment. Now, everybody here, if I was to ask the question, who here believes that we should love one another as Christ loved us? All the hands that go up. I mean, you'd have to be crazy to not raise your hand at that. We all say that. that yes, we love one another. Even if there's political differences? Even if there's scriptural differences? As long as you believe in the Lord God Jesus Christ by grace through faith to belief alone, you're born again saved. If a person is born again saved, but you disagree with them on a on a biblical issue or whatever, do you hate them then? If a person is a brother or sister in Christ is a born-again Christian, how far do you take the loving one another? What if they like a different football team than you? Well, yeah, maybe, but 
You see, we, we talk a big talk, but we're so quick to hate upon, name call, deride, degrade one another if there's any other difference. We're so quick to hate one another and hate upon one another uh, whenever something disagrees with us. We're so quick to be antagonists, so quick to be aggressive. But the Bible says we're not supposed to be quick to wrath, slow to wrath. We should love one another, forgive one another, in meekness instructing one another, to be patient unto all men, love your enemies, Pray for them who oppose you. Turn the other cheek. But those are commandments we don't keep. Those are commandments we are so quick to forget. Oh, because someone has differences of opinion and politics and sports or whatever else. All because they may disagree with something something with you, but they believe in the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace, your faith, to belief alone. You're supposed to treat them as a part of the body of Christ, whether you like it or not. And God is able to use people you don't agree with. Think about that. Is it possible? Is it possible that God could use people you don't agree with? Stick that in your theological pipe and smoke that one for a little bit. Could God use people you don't agree with? To say no is to say that you know everything and you're perfect. So it's kind of a trick question. God can obviously use people you don't agree with. So maybe have that perspective, that outlook, when you're looking at other Christians that you might disagree with. You look at the doctrine coming out of their mouth. And if they believe in the same gospel you believe in, they're born again saved and God is able to use them because they're born again saved. So, yeah. Uh, there's a question here. Probably through here. Life is like a grindstone or a polishing stone, as Pastor Paul said. Living with Jesus' spirit in us polishes. That's right. Amen. Why Blue says, no, nah, no, nah, dreams and visions are not what I'm seeing. Just the quiet, quiet voice of God. Show me my sin is good, and hopefully I will have the willingness to turn around. Amen. Okay, uh, Nalion says, about having visions, but Joel 2.28 says that your sons and your daughters are prophesying. You all mention dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Yeah, when? Go back to Acts chapter 2. Pentecost. What did Peter say? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, appointed by Christ to be the leader of the church to Jerusalem. The apostle Peter says, this is that which was prophesied by the prophets, by Joel. And he quotes this. And he quotes that passage. Now, as we also take a look at Corinthians. At Corinthians, it says there are three things that have passed away. Three things that are passed away. Three things that are no more. That have ended. Ended with the dispensation, uh, the finish, finishing of the word of God. Three things are passed away. Prophe prophecy of Old Testament style prophets. Prophets. Prophesying of foretelling. Tongues. And words of knowledge. 
New imparted words of knowledge is passed away. Tongues is passed away. And foretelling prophecies passed away. Now, there's a, there's a different type of prophecy, which is forth-telling. Forth-telling, which is preaching, declaring, promoting, proliferating the faith. Like what I'm doing right now in preaching the word of God is technically called prophesying the word of God. It's a forth-telling. Then there's foretelling which is like Old Testament prophets. That's gone. So we have to make sure to pull things into context of a biblical context. Now, uh, yes, uh, there's the, the Pentecostals and uh, many of the Charismatics who disagree with me. If you disagree with me, please bring your Bible and show me how we still have these gifts that the Bible says they're gone. So people say, well, I've experienced it. Well, then if the word of God contradicts you, obviously what you have is not of God then. Could it be possible that there could be a deception upon you? just say consider that because there is also a false tongues there's false prophecies there's false visions and false experiences which are actually not by god i'm just saying how to tell the difference you got to tell the difference by the word of god if you're interested in knowing about this i have a video that i did on the difference between uh, continuationism versus cessationism i have a video on that um in the playlist according to the bible i believe it is uh, in that playlist, go check that out. <clears throat> if you would like my actual study notes on that, it's over on Reddit. Um, if you send me a an email, send me a private message through our website, ChristianCoffeeTime.ca, I'll send you a link to my actual study notes on, on that on that study about gifts and all that. Okay, let's continue on. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So why is the world hating you? Why is the world hating you? Because something in you is being manifested that's rubbing their fur the wrong way. That's irritating them. What is it that is in you that is being manifested that is irritating them? Well, let's take a look at 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Okay, what does it mean to sanctify? Sanctification is different than consecration. Consecration is being made holy, the, the initial uh, cleansing, the, init the initial purification. That is salvation. So we were consecrated at salvation. And then after this is the working and continual sanctification, which is the daily cleansing uh, bring yourself before the Lord in prayer and studying the word of God and, and purging ourselves of those things that are trying to cause hindrances. This is the, the putting the Lord first in all things, maintaining the fellowship and relationship of Christ. That's what the sanctification is. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason, the hope that is in you, meekness and fear. Why are they coming to ask you about the hope within you? What is it that they are seeing? What is it that they are hearing? What is it that's going on that is causing them to come and ask you about the hope within you? The good works, the manifestations of Christ, the Christ-likeness, your fellowship with Christ is now obvious, blatant, clear, publicized so that people know and it is drawing them. And while it is drawing some, it is offending others. 
but should we should we limit and restrain our fellowship with Christ all because it may offend some? Because some people might get offended and upset and triggered about your fellowship with Christ. Should we limit our fellowship with Christ? Should we limit our evangelism? Should we be quiet about the things of God all because some people might not like it? No. They don't like it. Tough. We don't, they, they don't like it. Tough. We're, we're going to keep working for the Lord whether people like it or not. The word of God isn't isn't to be set aside because some people might not like it. We're to be unashamed, unafraid. It, and because of this unashamed, unafraid stance, because of this blatant stance, the world will hate you. Because of this gentle dogmatism on the word of God, the world will hate you. Because you call sin, sin, and abomination, abomination, and you bring people to the knowledge of Christ, they're going to get upset because you're exposing their darkness. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. All those who hate me love death. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. You see, if you're to go out in public and go door to uh, go around the do different doors and shops and go around all the different people and never speak about Christ, you're not going to really have an issue. People will like you. You'll have many friends. You can have a lot of success. But the moment, the moment you start talking about Jesus, all hell breaks loose. All the devils just come out of the woodwork. It's like kicking a hornet's nest. All the people, they just run from you. They unfollow you, unsubscribe from you. They leave you. They unfriend you. They hate you. They name call, deride. And just all the filth just gets poured out the moment you start talking about Jesus. It's not you they hate. It's not you they're opposing. It's not you that they're unfollowing and unsubscribing. They're trying to run away from Christ. The moment you invoke the name of Jesus Christ, the world loses its mind. You could talk about Buddha all day and no one will care. You could talk about all the Hindu gods. You could talk about the Muslim God. You could talk about all the other religions and all that other stuff. You could talk about old cult. You could read the satanic Bible in public. No one would care. But the moment you take this, the moment you start reading this, the devils just lose their mind. The devils just lose their mind. Don't take it personal. When the world turns on you, when your friends turn on you, when your family turns on you, and all the issues uh, start coming against you, don't take it personal. I know it's easier said than done. But don't take it personal. They're attacking Christ. And because they can't slap the face of God, they're going to slap him by proxy through you. Because they can't spit in the face of God, they're going to spit in the face of God by proxy through you. They're hating Jesus by proxy. You're a representative of Jesus. That's why they hate you. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. 
But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Because you will no longer condone and validate and justify all of their sin and wretchedness and abomination. That's why they get mad. Because you won't agree with them. People always get mad when you oppose the status quo of society. Societal's dictation is always wrong. Abortion is always murder. No matter how you look at it, you can't justify it. Good luck trying to justify abortion in the, uh, before the face of God. It's murder. You can't. You you cannot biblically validate and justify the LGBTQ alphabet community. You can't do it. That's my religious rights and freedoms. If you don't like that, take it with, take it with God. You have to ban the Bible. You have to get rid of the freedom of religion. That's what God says. Now, all because a Christian doesn't support something doesn't mean they hate the people involved with it. That is ridiculous and stupid to say that Christians hate people that they disagree with. That's stupid. That's a very poor straw man argument. All because a Christian doesn't support something doesn't mean they hate the people involved with it. Sin is sin, no matter how you paint it up, no matter how, how much makeup you put on it, sin is sin. No matter how good you try to make it look like pedophilia is is wretched abomination, and Christ says better for better for him than a millstone hanged about his neck, and you're cast in the in the depths of the sea, then he should harm one of these little ones. That's what God thinks about pedophilia. But if you take a look at sin and abomination, drunkenness and lying and murder and and deceit and blasphemies, all these things, sin is sin and abomination is abomination, no matter what society says. And all sin will be judged by God. All sin will be cast in the lake of fire, no matter how you like it, no matter what you say, no matter what your feelings are about that. God's thoughts, God's opinion towards it will never change. You need to be saved from your sins or the wrath of God will be upon you. God doesn't just cast sin in hell. He casts the sinner. Think about that. The world hate you. You know that it hated me before it hated you. Why are they hating God? Why are they hating God? If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. So therefore, if you're not being opposed, you're doing something wrong. If you're not being opposed, if you're not being hated, if you're not losing friends because of your stance of Christ, and you're doing something wrong. A message that is accepted by the masses is not accepted by God. Like Joel Osteen. He's just he's just a, a motivational speaker. He's not a preacher of God. He, he's not a, even a Christian. He doesn't believe in the divinity of Christ. Joel Osteen's a false prophet, and everyone loves him. The world loves his own. Where there's true biblical doctrinal teaching, you won't find a mega church. I'm just putting that out there. And I challenge anyone to prove me wrong. Where there's proper biblical doctrinal teaching, you will never find a mega church. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Look what Jesus did. He never did anything wrong, never said anything wrong. Look what they did to him. If they would treat Christ like that, what makes you think that you're going to have a better life than Christ did? If they would mistreat Jesus, what makes you think they're not going to mistreat you? 
You're not going to have your best life now. You're going to have your best life later. In this life, you shall have great tribulation. If they have if they have kept my sayings, they would keep yours also. If they would listen to me, Jesus says, then they'd listen to you. Now, we take a look at verse 21. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Because they have no love of God, they have no knowledge of God, they have no desire of God, they're going to hate you. God is not in them. God is angry with the wicked every day. The wrath of God is upon the workers of iniquity. They are under the judgment and the condemnation, the wrath of God. That is an absolutely terrifying thing. And people say, well, well, God knows my heart. And that should scare you. That should scare you. Because the Bible says the heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? But if I had not come and spoken unto them that they had not had sin. Wait, what? Let's look at that. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. So what does he mean there? As long as you don't tell them about Christ, then they have no sin? No, 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 no. No, that's not what that means. But there are some crazy people who think that that's what that means. Let's take, take a look at this. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. So, okay, the context there, that there is a covering. There's something hiding, hiding their sin, ignorance of sin. Romans 1, 18 and 25, the suppressing of sin. So what is Christ coming that is causing them to lose their cloak and disguise of sin? What is the Lord bringing? The law. The law. The law instructs. The law convicts. The law exposes. The law manifests. The law reveals. The law strips away every single possible excuse that a person could possibly have to try to hide, disguise, or find loopholes or ways around to excuse their sin. The law condemns the law is a curse the law is our schoolmaster uh, galatians chapter 3 verse 24 the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to the knowledge of sin the law christ brings the law of god to convict you of your sin then he shows you the grace of his salvation that you could be free from the condemnation of sin the law brings you to the altar points you to the cross it shows you, you how you're a sinner, how you need a savior. And then this, this schoolmaster brings you to the knowledge of the cross of the atonement. And then you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that then frees you from the condemnation of the law. So we bring Christ to show them how they are lost and how they need to be saved because they are in their sin. All have sinned. That all are fallen away, all have become corrupt. The, the law of God is written upon their hearts and they are without excuse. Every single person in the world. 
It doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter what they're doing. All are sinners and all will be judged and all need to be saved. Some people say, well, what about those who have never heard? Show me some. You see, that's a very arrogant statement to make. What about those who have never heard? Because that just that means then you know of an absolute fact that there are some who never have heard. All because you don't know if they haven't doesn't mean they haven't. So be careful of using that argument. So, uh, Nelion says, the reason I said, said that is I had a dream and it was about the rapture and I thought it, it was a regular dream and something told me to look up things about the rapture and I see people explaining there. Yeah. And so explaining their dream, the same dream, it was curious on what you think. And that's why I said that verse, I like the rapture is not far. Well, I, I firmly believe that the rapture is not far off. But again, my, my point is we also want to pay attention to every detail of it. Uh, if you actually have to ask the question, I wonder if that was of God, that's proof right there it wasn't. Because if it is of God, it's going to be so blatant and obvious and clear. There's going to be scripture backed up in it, and you're going to have the full knowledge of this. God doesn't just give you something and leave you wondering about it. Look all throughout the word of God. Whenever God revealed something to someone, it was blatant and clear and so obvious that you were left without question. God doesn't do half effort. He doesn't give you just partial knowledge. He doesn't just do, you know, works apathetically or just partially. He, he gives full understanding that if you have to ask the question, I wonder if, then it's not of God. If it contradicts the scripture, it's not of God. If, it, if there's certain pictures in there, like say if you have a vision or dream of a long haired Jesus. Well, that's not the Jesus of the Bible because Jesus didn't have long hair. So you want to look at all the details, what's being shown, what's being said, what does the Bible say, Put all pair all these things to it, and then you find out what is of God and what is not. Is it possible you could just have a random dream about that because, say, you saw or heard something about that topic throughout the day? As it says in Ecclesiastes, that, that dreams are given by the busyness of life. So it's possible, I'm just saying, it's possible it could just be a, a happenstance, circumstantial dream about that because it's something you heard and heard or saw throughout the day. So again, it's possible. That's what I would say on this. But if you have to ask the question, I wonder if it wasn't of God. Because God doesn't work that way. He's not the author of confusion. So if you're confused about it, it's not of God. All right, let's take a look now at verse 25. So we see that, that Jesus in verse 24 is talking about the knowledge of sin. I'm bringing in the law. I'm bringing something that can strip away the excuses, that can strip away all the possible things that people could say or do to hide and excuse their sin. That that which they are using to suppress their sin is being removed. They have nothing left. They are without excuse, as the Bible says. They're without excuse. And because Christ now leaves them without excuse, it's just like being in a debate. It's just like being in a debate. That when you finally corner the opposition, you finally corner the other debater, the person you're debating with, and you've completely disproven all of their arguments. You completely left them without anything left to do. What what often what often do they do? What do they resort to? When they have no more argument, what do they do? They start attacking your person. 
They start attacking your person. They start they start being derogative. They start being name calling or they start start picking at your character, character assassination or something like that. And they just start getting mad. That's just what happens here. That when you leave the sinner without any excuse, they just get mad. They start attacking the character of Jesus, start attacking the character of God, and they just get mad. God leaves them without excuse. Let's look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Verses 18 and 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. It's a deliberate chosen that free will choice of deliberate suppressing of that which they know, but they oppose, who hold the truth and the righteousness. The picture there is like if you go to the beach and you take a beach ball and you try to hold the beach ball under the water. And your effort at holding the beach ball under the water is the very picture and image here of suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. They pile their sin upon it, sin upon it, and they, they know it's there. They know it's there. They know that it opposes them, and they're just trying to hide it and bury it and hold it down, keep it away. It takes a constant, continual effort, or it'll pop up again. So they have to hold it, a deliberate holding a continual effort to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Why? Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. His law is written upon their hearts. They know full well what they are doing, and they know that they're wrong. Real atheists don't exist. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There's nothing they can say. They have no argument. They have no excuse. There's no loopholes. There's no ways around it. They know full well, and that's why they're angry. They're caught with their hand in the cookie jar. They were caught red-handed, and they just get mad. They're without excuse, because that when they knew God... They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So what did they do? They just start making up stupid things. They start making up arguments, making up excuses. They just start denying scripture. Oh, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. No, no. There was a nothingness. There was no matter, no energy, literally nothing out there. And it just, this nothingness just magically made matter that exploded into a big bang. And matter made itself. And that we made ourselves by accident. We're just cosmic accidents. And we're no different than the dog. And, and you know, life is meaningless. And we're just stardust. Dr. Seuss, green eggs and ham. Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into image made like the corruptible man, into birds and, and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Then they just change the truth into their own thing. Well, I think, I feel, I believe, I don't agree, I like this, I don't like that, I think, I, thou hast said what's in thy heart, I will be like God, I will ascend to the throne. Just like Satan. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. Find them. You want that? Go ahead. 
Go ahead. God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie. Who changed the truth of God into a lie. Saying that it means something other than what it's saying. Misrepresenting scripture, misquoting, mis, uh, misappropriation of scripture, who change the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature, the God of their imagination, the God that they fashion, the God that they can agree with because they don't like the full God of the full scriptures, changed the truth of God to a lie, worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Also, worshiping the creature is worshiping nature, can worshiping uh, the earth that made itself by the big bang of atheism, of evolution, or that the creation of a god of their own imagination. That's why they hate you, because they don't like what God says. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And then they, they blame God, hate God, accuse God for no reason. There's nothing that they could accuse God, so they make up, make up things. They cherry-pick and misrepresent Scripture to try to create arguments to condemn him. Well, God in the Old Testament did horrible things. Horrible things happened, but... Every person in prison says they're innocent and says that they were they were arrested and treated wrongly. The criminal is very quick to say the judge made a mistake. And people always always side with the criminal. The things that God did in the Old Testament, yes, horrible things happened, but God doesn't just do things. There's a reason for everything that God does. Why was he harsh in the Old Testament? Why is he going to be harsh at the great white throne judgment? Think about this. They hated me without a cause. God, who is perfect and holy and just and righteous and true, and in him is no darkness, a shadow of turning. He cannot lie. He's not the author of confusion. He gives us not the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And they blame him. That criminal, sinful man blames God. The thing formed say, says to him which formed it, why have you made me thus? Does the clay whine and complain and accuse the potter? Who do we think we are that we can blame God? They hated me without a cause. Why do people use the name of Jesus Christ as a cuss word? You, you notice that if you actually pay attention, that when people stub their toe or slam their the, the, the car door in their hand or something bad happens or whatever, they always use the name of Jesus Christ, the mention of God of Scripture. They never, ever, ever, ever use any other deity name. They never, you know, stub their toe and scream, Oh, Buddha or Oh, Allah or Oh, any other God. They always curse Christ. Why is the name of Jesus, the name of God of the Bible, the only deity name that is ever used as a cuss word? I'm very curious about that. They hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, which is the Holy Ghost, whom I will send. All right, now there's a rabbit trail. I mentioned this before. 
that next time you're talking to a Muslim, okay, just ask them a simple question. Because Dr. Zakir Naik, uh, the Muslim apologist, Muslim debater, he, uh, and a lot of the Muslim arguments based on this, uh, that they like to misappropriate John chapter 14 and 15, and that where they actually will use John 14 and say that the comforter is Muhammad. I can never say that without laughing. They say the comforter is Muhammad, and that after Jesus, that Muhammad came after Jesus, and Muhammad is the comforter. And yeah, okay, okay. So next time you're talking to a Muslim, just ask them very simply, who sent Muhammad? And quite often. Uh, they might even refer this and talk about, you know, John 14, when Jesus talks about the comforter that will come, that's Muhammad. And every single Muslim will tell you Allah sent Muhammad. Just bring this up. John chapter 15. But when the comforter has come, whom I will send. So according to Muslim apologetics, then they say Allah sent Muhammad. Would that not then imply that Jesus is God according to their own argument? Because if they try to use scripture to try to back that up, like Dr. Zakir Knight did, which he got raked over the coals for that because he's easily disproven and shown to be an absolute just ignorant fraud. That Because if you keep reading, Jesus says, I will send the comforter. I will send. So that then implies, according to Muslim logic, Jesus is God. There's something there for you. But when the comforter has come, which is the Holy Ghost, whom I will send, Christ will send the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Jesus says, receive ye the Holy Spirit, and he breathes upon them the Holy Ghost, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Ephesians 3, 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Spirit of truth, which is the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. Does Muhammad testify of Jesus Christ? No. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom Christ will send, the Spirit of Truth, will testify of me. So the testimonies, the testifying, the, testif the, the testimonies that come as a byproduct of belief will be exaltation and glorification of the Lord God Jesus Christ according to Scripture. All things come back to him, about him, for him, through him, by him, but to the glory of him. He shall testify of me. How? Go back to John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you. He shall teach you all things. How? How will he teach you? He's not going to give you new things. He's going to give you this. He's going to teach you this. He's going to speak through this. He's going to testify of this. He's going to bring you to this, by this, for this. He's going to cause you to be a remembrance of this. You bring you to the word of God. People say, well, I've got a new word of knowledge. Chapter verse, please. If you can't give me chapter verse, not of God. He'll teach you all things of this. 
and bring all things to remembrance, to remember what you've read and studied and memorized. It'll cause it to bring it up into your mind. Whatsoever I have said. It goes to be a remembrance of whatsoever I have said. It's already been established. I have already said it. Whatsoever I have said. Past. I've already said it. It'll cause you to remember what I've already said. It's not going to be something new. You shall testify of me of what I've already said and done and shown. Verse 27. And ye shall, and ye also shall bear witness, and ye shall also bear witness, to bear witness. What does this mean, to bear witness? To represent, to demonstrate, to reflect, to sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and to be ready always to give an answer to them who come and ask you of the hope within you. To bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Because you've been with me. You abode in me. Because ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, my spirit will testify of me in you, teach you all things, bring you to the understanding and the knowledge and the power and the wisdom, and show you how to witness, how to evangelize, how to testify, how to pray, how to preach, how to be my friends, how to be my disciples, Christ says. There you go. John chapter 15. Any comments, questions, issues, insights, anything else at all? Anything else at all? Um, again, folks, if uh, if any of you are, are curious about the message that the, the Bible study I put together regarding uh, spiritual gifts, about what what is today what what do we have what is there going on i am not a cessationist by any stretch of the imagination uh cessationism is completely wrong and unbiblical and just as full continuationism is completely unbiblical so there needs to be an understanding what the bible says about this about what continues and what has not and, and i have a whole bible study put together on that showing uh, by the word of god uh, what gifts are passed away, what are stopped, and what we still have today. It's uh, continuation, continuationism versus cessationism. And it's a Bible study on, on that topic, on that argument. If you would like a link to that, send me a, uh, a message or leave a comment afterwards and I'll put the link in. Or you can email me and I'll send you the link. Or you could check out in the playlist. I'm, I'm pretty sure I have a video on that. Uh, so... I, for some reason, I'm gapping on whether or not I actually did or not. I think I did. I'm pretty sure I did. I have a video on that where I talk about it. So please make sure you check that out. And again, if you like these Bible studies, if you like this, please give this a like. Give this a thumbs up. And uh, make sure you subscribe. Hit notification bell icons. You know, when we put up new videos. And I hope this has been a help and encouragement and a blessing to you. So thank you so much for joining in. Just making sure... I didn't miss any of these things. Wobblers has started as green eggs and ham. You're pretty funny. I, I try to be. But it's true. Like you said, there are no true atheists because God put the knowledge of God into everyone's heart. That's right. And if the knowledge of God is in the heart, then there's not, not one single person on this planet that can say they, they don't believe in God. If God wrote the knowledge of him and his law upon the heart of every single individual person, 
then they are without excuse. And then you obviously can't say that there are none that don't know. Plus also, just to really hammer this one down, uh, about the argument about what about those who've never heard? They would say, well, there are people in the world who've never heard the truth. Oh, really? Pray tell how that's possible. Let's take your Bible and turn to Revelations chapter 7. I want to show you something. Revelation chapter 7. And look at verses 9 and 10. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Look what it says. Okay, so it says, and after this, so this is a whole separate experience here. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of what? Of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. All, which no man can number, of all nations, all kindreds, all people and all tongues, a great multitude out of, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. So that then means, therefore, that the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, has gotten to... Every single corner of the world, every single nation, kindred, people, and tongue, and a remnant has been pulled out of, people have gotten saved out of, every single tribe, nation, kindred, tongue, and people. So that means the argument about what about those who have never heard is irrelevant, unbiblical. Because that's then saying the word of God hasn't gotten to them when the Bible says it has. And look at this. This was written by the Apostle John. And it also says that they went out into all the world. They went out into all the world. The disciples and the apostles went out and made, made more disciples. People got saved and they spread out more and more and more across the whole planet. So the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, has gotten to the entire planet. There are none that have never heard. Because here's the other thing. If there are those who have never heard and they die without hearing it, we got a big problem. God is not willing that any should perish, but, but calls all men everywhere to repent. If people die and go to hell, Having never heard the truth, God is willing that some should perish there. And the word of God's a lie. Because it says he's not willing. So you see? All have heard. All have been given the gospel. At some point, somewhere, somehow, down the line, even when we don't know how, God has worked out a way. So that's what it says. So, 
when we take a look at these things, even the basic arguments and debate topics and questions of apologetics, there's an answer. Even the, some of the most difficult things, this is one of the, uh, that's called um, the preacher's nightmare, where people bring up that question, what about those who've never heard? And so many, so many pastors and so many Christians are scared of that question, and they don't know how to answer that. But there is an answer. The answer is, those who've never heard don't exist. That question is irrelevant. That question is unbiblical. That question is a hype is a made up fabricated hypothetical situation question that contradicts the word of God. So we see what does the Bible say? All right. So wrap that up. Okay, Chris has one with a prop what prophecy was fulfilled when Israel became a nation. It talks about how uh, Israel will uh, will be called again. Will be called again. And that uh, they'll be brought back. I can't remember the passage off the top of my head. It's been a while since I visited that one. But there is a prophecy in, in the Word of God. talks about how they'll be all called back again together into one nation. Um, I can't remember what the reference is for that. Yeah, have to forgive me for that one, but I can't remember the reference. But the Bible does talk about this. There is a, there is a biblical pro prophecy about that. Um, I'll have to look that up and get back to you. All right. So with that, we'll wrap up there. So I hope you've enjoyed this. Hope it's been a blessing to you. Thank you so much for joining in. Please make sure you give this a like, give us a thumbs up, and check out all our other content, all our other playlists. And again, check out our website, christiancoffeetime.ca, as we're canadabasos.ca, christiancoffeetime.ca. And we got tons of uh, information, tons of content, tons of different platforms and accounts. Check it all out. Got tons of stuff. And as well, feel free to download our content. None of it is monetized. It's just Bible studies. We're not restricting the word of God. This is Bible studies. None of it's monetized. So if you like these studies and you want to see them, download them to your phone, to your computer, share them around and get, get out the word of God and help people to see this and show your support by liking and subscribing and following. And if you would like to be a Christian Coffee Time member, just come, sit down, grab your Bible, memorize it. That's all that's required. And subscribe. Subscribe, memorize your Bible, and, and show, show your support by fellowshipping and learning of the scriptures, going and speaking, and just following the word of God. What does it say? Go, do that. What does the word of God say? Go, say that. Defend the word of God. That learn, learn to be competent in scriptures. Learn how to give the gospel so you know how to lead someone to salvation. Learn how to replace your words with the words of the Lord, with, with, with Scripture. What does the Bible say? So there you go. So God bless you, folks. Thank you so much for joining in. And God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love His Holy Word. Hope to see you again, folks. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.